Welcome back to the Architecture Firm Marketing Podcast. I'm Dave Sharp, Marketing Consultant for Architects at VanityProjects.com. Today, I'm joined by Rebecca Caldwell from Maytree Studios, a small residential practice based in Brisbane, Australia. Maytree Studios' tagline is humans first and architects second, and this translates into every aspect of their work, business, and marketing. In this episode, we discussed Rebecca's journey as an entrepreneur, the struggle she had in the early years of her practice, and the difficult decisions she made to start again from scratch. She shares what she looks for in a quality client, how her practice focuses on breaking down the barriers about what an architect does, how their social media and resources educate potential clients and prompt them to reach out, as well as how Rebecca structures the initial conversations with new clients so that they're quick and effortless. She also spoke about how the practice creates different options within their fee structure and offers new services and advice for more budget-conscious clients. And finally, we spoke about how Beck finds the time to think about and optimize every aspect of her business on an ongoing basis to create a calm and enjoyable experience for herself, her team and her clients. I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Rebecca Caldwell from Maytree Studios. Beck, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Ah, thanks for having me. No worries. Um, should we start off with maybe a little bit of a background on Maytree and the studio? How long have you guys been around for, the kinds of work that you do and, yep. and that sort of initial pitch? Yep. Um, it's a, a really it long, it feels like a long history, yep. but it's not really. It's probably nine years um, and, and a really like up and down and um, uh, hit and miss process, I have to say, if I'm completely <laughs> honest. Um, I started the business, um, I think I was about 30, and I really didn't start a business in my mind. I just started a bit of a hobby. I did my brother's place, um, which is the Glasshouse residence. Um, and um, from there kind of found that I enjoyed it, found that I could do it. So I, I, start, I dropped my hours where I was working and just started doing the one or two days a week just for myself and three days for another employer who knew about the who knew about Maytree and things. And um, and then from there, it just kind of, it's always sort of naturally growing. The thing I've learned about business is like it will grow if you don't, if you're not careful. <laughs> and that's the <laughs> lesson I learned really early on. So I um, I was probably, it was probably about five years in when I went, oh my goodness, this needs, we need to put the brakes on this thing. And I had, was just having little kids. We'd grow into a team of six or seven, I think, seven including a casual. Uh, we were doing work that I wasn't loving, uh, you know, a lot of developer-driven work, and that's not why I started it. You know, I really started it to try and uncover what I loved about architecture, and I also did it as almost a last-ditch effort to find out whether or not I could work in architecture and be a happy human being. Um, and... So that and that 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 initial seed of let's like can I make a space where it's kind to me and it's kind to my clients is still the driving force of the business. That is still um, a large part of it. So after I shrunk the business, so that must be four years ago or so now, um, and we shrunk down to a team of two, and it's slowly grown back. So we're a team of five now with a really concerted conscious decision to not grow um in terms of size 
certainly we want to grow in capacity and knowledge and all of those things, but to not grow in size until that time is right. Um, So the bulk of our work is um, uh, medium to high-end residential renovations and new builds, Uh, less new builds, obviously a lot of renovations in the city, Um, and we do a small amount of boutique uh, uh, commercial interiors, so um, wine bars. We love... um, craft beer bars yeah. <laughs> and um, and the odd cafe, that kind of yeah, thing. Cool. That's a really small part of the business but um, something we really enjoy. And yeah. I guess the driving factor across the kinds of clients we work with, uh, whether they're in business or they're, it's for their home, they're in it for the long term. Like they're not someone who's building it to develop and sell. Yeah. Um, and so that's the consistent thread through the work. And is that the same in the commercial stuff as well? You know, they're really that long-term business um, yeah. owner, right? Yeah. Okay, the owner cool. who's going to be the, the guy pulling beers behind the bar. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's who we want to work yeah. with. And because cool. it's a similar process of getting to know them and yeah. um, that kind of that intimate relationship of understanding who they are, what they're trying to achieve and um, shaping yeah. it around them. Yeah. yeah. And if they're planning to like sell it in a few years, like what's the point? Going through going through that process, that customization and, and and building that personal relationship there. Yeah, that's right. And and the 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 financial decision around something that's long term is just a completely different decision around yeah. something that's you know yeah yeah to, to um, get in and sell. I want to go back to the point where you you made a really good comment there about the about the business just kind of growing whether you want it to or not. <laughs> which yeah. is great. Uh, you don't hear that as being a problem very often, but it's interesting <laughs> that you got to a, yeah. So I don't get that many clients coming to me going, "Oh, my business is just growing out of control. I can't do anything about it." Um, but maybe do you want to speak to kind of what you mean by that? What that sort of that momentum that it, it was going in a direction, and you wanted to go in a different direction. And what what was that? What was that experience like? Yeah, and it's actually like we have the same challenge now. Like at the moment, our clients are paying deposits to start projects in February next year. So our lead time is just over six months at the moment. And um, I work with a really fabulous business coach, um, Ray from Archibiz. And, um, you know, he, he's like, what, what's the scenario here? Like what, when do you employ somebody? And I'm like, you know what, I just don't want to. Like <laughs> I just, I want to, um, People can wait, or there's other lots of other great architects that they can go talk to. You know, when you know we have something to offer, but there are plenty of other architects that can do something similar. And um, so, yeah, so I think that that challenge of if you do what you do really well and you shape the client experience really well, it kind of will sell itself, and it, and yeah. it naturally does tend to grow. Yeah. Um, I, that's been, that's been my experience. What was your question? Sorry. Yeah, no, Dave, no, just... totally. Um, well, I've, I've actually got a bit of a follow-up question cause it's around this idea. I mean, talking about that conversation you're having with Ray, I, I get a lot of architects, like my clients asking me this sort of thing, which is like, we are so busy and we're a little bit afraid of hiring and that changing the dynamic of our practice and maybe meaning that you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if this extra growth that we're seeing right now is going to be sustainable forever and mm-hmm. all these kind of worries that come through. Um, but uh, so you th- there's a point where you've gotten to where you think, okay, that's definitely the size there and then we just have to resist that pressure to grow and to take on the extra team. 
Yeah, I think I look at it and I think if I take on somebody else, I'm then a step away from my clients. Like I'm outsourcing yeah. to somebody else. So at the moment we have a team of four, so three architects, an interior designer, um, and she's been with us from the start. She's super intrinsic to our process. There's no hierarchy there between architects and interior design. And we have a practice manager. Mm. And so what I've done instead of outsource the architecture is the practice manager has come in and taken on some of my the admin BD role um, and lead management and that kind of thing. Um, but for me, I look at the growth. Like if I am, if I just grow, like what is the goal of growth? I guess that's the question, right? Yeah. Like I think what you want to grow in is contentment, profit, um, you know, knowledge and um, experience and, you know, continually grow in terms of what you can offer people, making that more and more robust. But, um, yeah, I mean, the point of growth for itself to me just doesn't really make sense. Because at the end of the day, I want to know every client that's walking in the door. Um, yeah. I want to understand and manage the risks of their projects. Um, and I want to make sure that that client experience is consistent and um, in line with the kind of culture that we're building. Yeah. So I'm not saying that I will never grow. But right now we have a really great team um, and... I just see, you know, the the faster, the more you grow, the more costs you have, the more risks you have, and yep. for me right now, I just don't think it's the um, the right answer. And and our current team, we've got the four of us plus the practice manager who's just started, but the four of us are all like I'm the majority shareholder, but the other team members are shareholders as well. Oh, okay. Um, so that's a pretty important part of yep. our business. So that decision has been made as a group that we want to be consistent. And does that, if that means that some really great jobs come up and we can't actually do it, then that's just going to have to, you know, we just, we just have to deal with the consequence of that. What is the consequence of that? Just, is there any consequence? Do you, no, well, do you get to a really, point where you realize there's always going to be more good jobs and it doesn't matter if we have to let some go by? Yeah, I think so. I think that's the thing I didn't know you know, <laughs> really, <laughs> a, few, a few years ago, you know, there's always other great work out there and, and being confident in what you're offering people. So we'll say, look, we can't take on your job for another six months. We have a list of some other great architects that we could put you on to. Um, if they're a good job, like not someone ringing us up for their carport, I'm not sending yeah, yeah. them, <laughs> sending <laughs> them on the way. Um, so yeah, so I think I think having that confidence and security in yourself, but I think you can't do that unless you're managing your leads. Like, yeah. you know, it takes probably I I don't have any figures for this. You'll find I quote a lot of things that have absolutely no research behind them, but I have this <laughs> gut feel that there's like this sort of six month to a year conversion process that happens from when people start thinking they might do an architectural home to when they are contacting architects. So there's this process that's happening, bubbling away in the background. And I guess our goal is to be talking to those people really early yeah. and educating those people really early. Um, yeah. Whether they work with us or not, um, that education is super important. And so then, they, you know, we might have people that contact us, contact us and then they still bubble away for several yeah. more months before they finally come to the point that they're like, okay, we're ready for a fee proposal. So, yeah, I think um, 
I think being confident about where your leads are coming from and having that kind of consistent channel of work lets you be more confident about the work you take on and, and don't take on. At the moment, is there, in terms of confidence about that channel, is it a channel or is like one area of your marketing is generating the most results for you or is it something that's like a little bit from everywhere sort of thing? Uh, it's a little bit from everywhere. It used to be yeah. a lot of word of mouth, but it's not anymore. And I actually find that that's great. I think yeah. most of our work comes from Instagram yeah. now, yeah. which I yeah. would never have said three years ago. Never have said that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure what's changed. I'm, I'm kind of skipping across topics pretty quickly, but I have to touch on most of your work coming from Instagram because I think that's probably, you know, comes as a bit of a shock to some people listening to the podcast for sure. For other architects, they'll be like, yeah, of course, that's where our work comes from too. But yeah. it's not everyone's experience that Instagram is that effective or works that well oh, for, right. for them. So I guess, you know, in terms of your Instagram audience and and we'll talk on about the rest of your kind of marketing as well, but, you know, what what is it about the way you use Instagram that you think leads to people actually, you know, getting into that funnel, that six to 12 month process mm -hmm. and, and bubbling away, like from, from, from the potential clients point of view, like how, how do you see their experience from their side in terms of what you're doing on Instagram? Yeah, I think that's a great question because I think our process is to always put ourselves in our clients' shoes. So we might write something and then we'll say, okay, how does ordinary Joe Blow read this? <laughs> Does that yeah. make sense or are we talking to architects? And then we go and rewrite it for everyday people who are not architecturally trained. So yeah. that whole thing of putting yourself in the client's shoes. So we, um, I think if you think of, we see a lot of people contact us that say, we were thinking of working with a building designer because we didn't think architects designed to budgets. Like that, we hear that all the really? time. Okay. Yep. All the time. So our clients, I wouldn't describe most of our clients as being independently wealthy with eons of money for their projects. Yeah, you know, yeah. we have a lot of teachers and IT guys and, you know, really yeah. solid um, professions. They have saved up for this project. Yeah. It really matters to them because they've sunk, they're sinking in this one project, an enormous amount of their capital yeah. and or borrowings and kind of hopes and dreams for their future. You know, there's a whole lot wrapped up in it, right? So yep. constantly reminding ourselves of that. It can be really easy for us to be flippant and go, oh, well, I know your project, you said you said 600, but really, like, we think you should spend 800. Like, they might not be able to find that 200,000. So we actually mm -hmm. can't be that flippant about it. So I think um, for us it's that being approachable in our language, so constantly talking in ways that people understand about design and, um, you know, you might call it dumbing down. I don't know. I think complex ideas explained simply are mm. <laughs> the best way to communicate them. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and talking to what clients fear or do not understand about our profession. I think we are such a crap profession at talking to the general public. So mm. um, we don't talk openly about money. We get really shy about it. We aren't transparent about our fee structures and how they work. Um, we, you know, some architects want, maybe want their architectural practice to feel like an Hermes store that makes you feel like 
Like <laughs> I wouldn't go into one. God, like I'd be so no. scared of my like dirty Vegemite <laughs> pants getting onto some shiny ten thousand yeah. dollar handbag. But yeah. um, I think um, they might want that experience. We don't. Like you know we want people to come in and to feel comfortable and we'll have people come in and say, Oh, I, so how much can I like, ex- it, like I, I was going to say inform the process, but that's such an architectural talk again. Like yeah. how much can I tell you what I want or what I yeah. like, or how much can I change things? And we're like, I mean, it's your house, it's your project, it's your buddy. Of course you can, you yeah. know? And so just really putting people at ease about that. And so that's what that, that experience that we're going to give our clients during the design process is what we're trying to communicate to our clients that might be six to 12 months off even starting a process. So it's about, I guess, breaking down the barriers to, to picking up the phone and calling an architect. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, because, you know, in dis- you're, t- you're thinking about the big picture, like in terms of we don't even need to talk about ourselves that much. We actually need to you know, break down those barriers and simplify people's understanding about architects in general, which mm. always raises this question of, well, you know, couldn't everybody do that? And then what would happen? Would it be effective if everybody did it? But <laughs> nobody is doing it. <laughs> like, yeah, you're, like, you're like one of the only other firms who's bothering to make the effort to <laughs> explain to people these simple things. Um, yeah, and I, don't, I yeah. don't know why we do. I mean, I think um, we just, we go to uni for so long and, Am I allowed to swear on your podcast? Yeah, for sure. Like we're so up our own asses about <laughs> stuff. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, we're making beautiful buildings and and beautiful homes and and that's great. But the client does not want to come out of the end of that experience with a beautiful home mortgaged to the eyeballs for something that they may or may not be able to actually sustain, having had a stressful relationship with the architect where they didn't feel like they could even get a mm. bloody laundry if they wanted one because their <laughs> architect was saying no and you laugh but I have had a number of people come through my door and tell me that that's the experience they've had you know so you know and you know I even read magazines sometimes and how it talks about architecture I'm like I don't understand what they just said like I've had to reread yeah. that sentence three or four times maybe I'm a bit slower than the average person but um you know, if I'm not understanding it easily, how is anybody else? And so they they don't just want this beautiful thing with a really awful, stressful process and maybe stressful outcome, right? Like mm. that's what they'll remember. Yeah. So I guess for us it's not about creating the beautiful thing at the cost of the process. Did yeah. I just go way totally. off tangent there? No, no, you're all good. <laughs> Um, so it sounds like the, it sounds like the way that you're kind of trying to make this happen or have been, um, I'm guessing that your resources section of your website and that you share on social media, um, does that do most of the heavy lifting or is it kind of like just a general across every touch point that's always in the back of our mind or both? about the the language the like is it yeah in terms of you know when you're on this mission to like sort of break down these barriers explain mm-hmm. these these um things that you know explain what an architect does and all that sort of stuff like is that predominantly the resources and the blog posts or is that also you know just the regular little captions yeah, and no, things like that it comes through absolutely every every facet of what we do and it's funny because it's not hard like once we sort of 
got onto this. Cause I think the first few years of churn in my business, like I'm always amazed by ridiculously talented people, like a friend of mine, John Elway, who was on your podcast recently, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, they just start already at a sprint. He knew what he wanted to do. He knew how he wanted to create it. He's just like already at a sprint. Whereas I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm the one doing the like cross country off somewhere off piste in the wild yeah. for a while because, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to create because I started from this like little spoiled thing of I just want to create a safe space for myself within architecture, right? So yeah. it didn't have a framework around it. So then as as we've grown and matured and had the opportunity to do better work, um, we've been able to get clearer about what we're trying to achieve and it's not hard to do because it's in complete alignment with who we are it's in complete alignment with who I am but I I can also say that it is for Kate Leash and Andy as well um you know we're all solidly middle class um and you know so so it's kind of we're talking to our own audience um and so then, it, yeah, it just takes the kind of pressure out of it. So it's not, it's, it's how we write a caption for an Instagram post. It's, it's the content we write. Um, it's when we first meet a client. Like I always like to drop an F-bomb in the first meeting. And if it's like the best litmus test to figure out whether that client can really deal with me and my team yeah. or not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's the meeting a client and going, do I want to take you out for a beer? or not and if I don't the answer is I don't want to work with that person like I I literally want to work with people we all want to work with people we just really enjoy because it creates such a fun dynamic process and work is 80 90 percent of our lives sadly so you know you want to be enjoying that um it comes it come and it also comes across through our design process so um and you know it's at every step like concept design. So I'm I'm not sure how most architects do this, but we do um, two rounds of concept design from broad brush to obviously concept design round two, having more detail. Um, So lots of input from the client at concept one, round two is a lot more fine tuned. Um, I'm sure that's pretty stock standard, but we get to the end of, we hand over this beautiful package of drawings. And recently we were like, why do we not have a page at the back? That's like, here's your next steps here's a checklist of all the things to think about. Here's a link to click to make a feedback meeting. Here's the format to give us feedback in, you know, just like increasing the transparency and the ease of working with us. Um, Because I think the clients get overwhelmed. They know they might be signing up to a percentage range of X when they come talk to you. So when they, you give them this fee proposal that supposedly sells, spells out the process, they've signed up to a percentage. They've just okayed the bottom figure. They haven't really understood how you walk them through that and our service is like what 12 to 18 months so you know we found that there's this constant like we think that they know what they're getting but then they don't really know what they're getting through the process so just constantly thinking how do we guide them better through this how do we make this easier how do we make this less stress um and so that is you know right from how we first talk to them right through to how we you know get them signing their contracts with the builders and building and and all of that, just yeah. just taking it out of our, you know, we're looking for certain things, but we are often not looking for the same thing as our clients. I think um, we're looking for the beautiful outcome 
We want to do better work constantly. We want to grow in the work we're doing. But that is not our client's agenda. Our client's agenda is uh, having a process that's clear, mm. it being on budget or close to within their budget, comfort, their comfortable budget range, um, and being informed early if it's not, um, yeah. it being delivered on time, there not being any major blow-ups on site or major variations that they weren't prepared for. You know, so they're the things that actually matter to the client. Mm. Um, we get so torn up about whether or not this light, light should be black or white. The client literally is just like, just give me a light. <laughs> I reckon half the time, you know. The, yeah. You know, I mean, they're paying us to be consumed with all of that stuff, but yeah. I think it's always super important. Like when we start our workshop process, before we even start design, we say we start design with words and we do this workshop process with our clients. They bring their Pinterest boards or magazine clippings, however they want to communicate that to us. And we start trying to frame up a, um, a language, a design language for what they're after. And in there we do a, a set of, we organize 12 um, success measures for our clients from top priority, top three, middle I'm going to do some bad maths here, like middle six and lowest priority, three. Yeah. You know, and those yeah. things are like it being on budget, size of the home, uh, level of finish, as yeah. environmental sustainability, like all of those things. And we, we create a hierarchy with our clients about what's most important, what's least important, so that we're on the, their page about what their success measures are. Um, and that, and then that we will often be partway through concept design round two and trying to weigh up something that's like, oh, this would be beautiful, but it'll cost money, you know, and then we go, right, open their document. What are their top success measures? Was it level of finish or was it budget? Mm. And if it's, if budget was fifth down the line, then sure, that's kind of given us the license to say, hey, this is worth fighting for. Let's spend a bit more money here. And that kind of yeah. thing. That's great. Um, that's so interesting. Um, I... I know it's probably going to be a weird question, but why? Yeah. <laughs> why? <laughs> Just why? Okay. So, like, um, if it was that obvious, more people would be doing it, but you spend a lot of time designing the client experience to be better, um, to bring mm. them in line and to support them better and make it better. Just everything's going to be better for them. They're going to understand what's happening. You're going to be able to have a better working relationship with them, all that sort of thing. But you pointed out that your objective in a way is like the beautiful, amazing work to a degree. And mm. there's might not always be that. Right. Mm. Um, so I guess the question is kind of why, what do you see as the sort of benefits? Again, it is sort of an obvious question, but what do you think are the main benefits of, investing the amount of time and energy and imagination and diligence and effort that you're mm. putting into this client experience? Mm. Um, I can tell you the cost. <laughs> the cost? Wait, no. what's the cost? The, the cost if you don't do it or the cost? The cost if you do do it is obviously you're sinking more time and love into yeah. the process. Um, the cost if you don't do it to me is just too high it's stress and it's stressed clients and it's your stress and it comes i think in part i like i listened to a really great podcast called the business of design mm. um by kimberly sheldon or sheldon i'm mm -hmm. not sure in the in the states she's an interior designer and um it's she's like you know we're all making hamburgers but, like, you've just 
all got a secret sauce. Like what's your secret sauce? That's what you got to figure out. Mm-hmm. And so for some architects, I think, you know, their secret sauce is a particular suite of design outcomes. You know, their work all looks very similar. They do this one thing very well. Yeah. Um, for us, we... Um, our projects vary to respond to our clients because again, it's actually client centered um, outcomes. So I think the benefits was it. Yeah. You were asking for the benefits. The The, the benefits are systemization, which is I think what I was getting to, like we're selling a system, a process and a system. So it takes the stress out of it for our team. We know what our next steps are. We're doing the same thing every time for every client um, and yep. just it's the design that's changing, but the system is never changing. That's yep. anything we do. Whenever in the office someone writes a letter, they go, that is a template for the next time we have to do this. Yeah, and it exactly, gets saved exactly. into the template. You know, and just being really um, trying to be as clever as we can about that to take the work out of some of those the drudge things and um but the 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 better handle we have on that our applications process our approvals process um what we can and can't do within our town planning guidelines the better we know our stuff the better um that is for our clients the broad reason for why we do it is because we say and it's not just a catchphrase it's a good catchphrase but it's not Mm. just a catchphrase we say we're humans first and architects second Mm. And that thinking is not just, it, it really is a very much a driving factor of how we work. Yeah. Um, and it drives who we want to work with and for. Um, yeah. We are not interested in working with anxious, like status anxious people mm. who are just trying to build the beautiful thing to compete with Joanne down the road. Yeah. Like nothing against Joanne. You know, we really, you know, we love working with people for whom this, this hint, a lot of their happiness hinges on this. They, they've invested time and money getting to the point that they can do this project. Um, so they're not flippant about it. It's super important to them. Yeah. That's interesting. And the clients that you're working with sound like they're definitely not, I mean, the fact that you were saying they were considering at one point, you know, working with a home builder or a, or a home designer or whatever, like it, to them, architecture was not the immediate obvious choice in, no. in their psychology. It was kind of like, no. yeah. And, and, you know, some architects would probably say, well, you know, the clients that are even on the fence about that, I shouldn't, they shouldn't even, you know, I shouldn't even work with that type of client. Like it's just super arrogant, right? I mean, when there's nothing wrong with that, there's nothing wrong with that type of client. (laughs) They just need to be like, they just need to be educated. That's what we found. Like, so um, we get less of these clients that are sitting on that fence these days, but it still really exists. And, and I think some of that is, um, you know, we're in Brisbane, Queensland, you know, we're not in a city, Melbourne, there is a difference in the um, level of expectation. And there's a, you know, this kind of crazy pragmatism in Queensland that's like a bit of a DIY pragmatism that we have here. So, um, yeah, I think we've, we've had people ring us who have spoken to other architects who've been like laughed off the phone call because they had a $750,000 project. And, I and they're so relieved. Or even a better example is a lady, she's a deputy school principal, you know, mm-hmm. so really well educated, good job, has had this home for a long time, has a lot of equity in it. She wanted to do about a three 
a $450,000 renovation, had been laughed off the phone call with a bunch of people. And because I think she had said, I think I want to do a lift and build under. So for your other yeah. clients elsewhere, when we talk about lift yeah. and build under, we take a Queenslander, we pop it up on stilts and we stick some new stuff in underneath it. Yeah. And, you know, we don't advocate for that very often in, in, um, Beck, we don't talk about architecture on this podcast. So oh, like, sorry. That, be, that better be the last time I hear about design <laughs> from sorry. you. So, yeah, she got laughed off the phone call with these architects that were like, well, no, we don't look at projects under 750000 anyway yeah. and there's no way you could do it for that. And I get on the phone to her and we have this pro- we have a 15-minute free call. Like we have this simple link on our website. You can book a phone call. It books it automatically through a background app and I pick up the phone and call them when they've made that booking and get on the phone call to her and I say okay here's the challenges of what I think you're talking about here's what we could do like we could talk about a really sensitive addition um, rather than a lift and build under and blah, blah blah and here's the way you could do it and I think you might be talking about that 450 if you and here's a couple of example projects that sit around that level um, that you could go and drive past or have a look at and um, and she just was said to me she's like oh, you've got no idea how relieved I am she's like I've been like wallowing in depression because I've spoken to architects they've not given me any solutions they've kind of made me feel like an idiot and mm. And I get off the phone call from you and I hear that it's actually possible. And yeah. I'm just like, why Why are we only working for the 2%? Like why would yeah. her project not be able to be done? Like one of our favourite jobs in the office at the moment is a $220,000 extension and minor renovation to a um, Federation era workers' cottage. You know, and it's, you know, for us we say, and, and this that's where the education comes in. Like we put up a post recently that it was, um, you know, for us, it's not about your total budget. Like I'll do a $220,000 renovation as quickly as I'll do a $1.2 million house. I don't care. What I do care about is the quality of what's being done. So I can't go and do 400 square metres of house at 220000 Of course yeah. I can't. But um, both of those, you know, I'm referencing two projects in my mind right now, the 220 yeah. and the $1.2 million, both got completed at the same time. They're both $4,000 a square metre. You know, so and and but our client that did the renovation is a single um, professional woman. You know, she didn't want to bite off more than she could chew. So we've designed a staged master plan, and she's done her stage one now. You know, yeah. and so it's just finding other avenues to make architecture accessible to people. Yeah, that's really good, and that man, that made me so sad when thinking about her getting like basically bullied by those other architects that she's spoken to. I know, just really like the fact that there are practices out there that are just leaving such a bad taste in people's mouths just from those initial interactions is like really bad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty horrifying. That's pretty horrifying. Um, but still that's, that's, that's really, really interesting because, um, it's, it's encouraging to hear that example from you because, um, I think some practices don't really maybe realize that it's possible to have a viable practice and continue to, you know, um, to work with like a broad range of clients and not necessarily just go, it's got to be $4 million houses for me from here on out, you know? <laughs> and like, I'm sure those architects all, are driving like, a much yeah. nicer car than I am I, and that's fine. Not from my experience. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, uh, yeah, I think that, I think the thing is it, it is a more, it's probably in some ways a, a more difficult 
business to run financially. I'm not sure. It's certainly a more genuine, authentic business for me to run. And so I enjoy it. So I'm not stressed. Like I actually love going to work every day. And so does my team. I pay them to say that though. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think the thing, I think when I first started, the big mistake that I made, and I'm pretty open about this with people, is, you know, I had this passion, you know, solidly middle class, hated the snottiness of architecture, Mm. wanted to find a way to make it accessible and within reach of people. The first way I tried to do that was cheap fees. And that Mm. was a really great lesson in failure (laughs) (laughs) for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I learned in time to really value myself and value what we were offering. So it's not about um, doing a cheap fee. We have a set, we have a range of fees. So we have opt-ins and opt-out levels through our fee. So people can get some early design advice, but they don't have to work with us through the whole thing. They can get some design advice and take that and and build that with a builder or a building designer to finish up the the drawings, thereby Mm. lowering their professional fee probably lowering the end build cost because let's be honest, we put fancy things in houses that cost money. Yeah. And um, But they're getting the big picture things right. They're getting aspect, ventilation, privacy, all of those lovely things right in the home. Yeah. Um, and sure, it's not a photographable product at the end of the day. It's not architectural with a capital A, but it's, um, but it's you know, it's getting more good, houses and renovations out into the suburbs that's not the focus of our work though that is we do little bits of that over the year so we do some mini opt-in services called our summer sessions and our winter warmers that are a month blast of just Mm. people booking at night we put on wine and cheese and we do like a two-hour workshop on their project so that's our that's kind of happens twice a year yeah yeah you serious wait how does that work so (laughs) Take me through your winter warmer. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, most things are alcohol focused in our business. Uh, it's probably after terrible. your tenth session in one <laughs> afternoon, you must be. <laughs> no, no, we do one a night. So okay. I think we do two to three sessions over a night for the month of July and for the month of January. Yeah, and um, and they're prepaid. I think. I think we've played with two figures. We've played with like 490, including GST, and 990, including GST. I think the real mm. figure sits somewhere in between there. The 990, yeah. you know, it was a bit, um, the projects were probably weren't that kind of, it wasn't kind of helping people out the way that we wanted yeah. to. Like we sort of see this as a little bit of a community service. We don't really make money on this. It yeah. just pays for our time. We have two architects in a session. And we um, workshop their project, whether that's a new build or a renovation, but most of them are renovations where people have gotten a little bit stuck. And Mm. then we spend a little bit of time, like an hour or so afterwards, um, putting some advice back into a video format for them. Oh, Um, really? Okay, cool. Yeah, and they take whatever drawings we do that night home with them. So, um, and, and initially we started it. Uh, a few years ago, we had like no work, and I was like, it was like December. We were breaking for the holidays. I was like, fuck we it, do something. we're gonna do this <laughs> summer session. We've got yeah. no work in January anyway. Let's just do this thing. And who cares yeah. if we're helping people make better looking carports? We'll do it. It meets our agenda to be more accessible to the community and open the door to architecture more. And we might get some work out of it. And we did yeah. get work out of it. Um, and and I think that was the turning point for the business. Really, I think that was three years ago and I, th- I would say that's the turning point because that's the point at which I realised, you know, that 
the uh, it wasn't about having cheap fees. It was about trying mm. to find other like service options that we could yeah. offer people yep. that that gets them a bit of what we do, but not the whole thing. Our fo- yep. our, our focus is our full service clients. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, like. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. So like pro rata, you're making, a, you know, the same amount of money on that small service, but it's a smaller service. So, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, yeah, it, it, it works out okay. Um, I guess like the thing that you touched on there was that it doesn't necessarily lead to a beautiful, wonderful magazine worthy finished project, mm. right? But um, I get the I get the feeling that it's an ama- it would be a pretty amazing word of mouth driver, and also there's nothing to say that that's just because that client is needing that smaller service. Then it's not necessarily closing the door that they're not going to come back in six months and want the want no. the larger service, right? Yeah, that's um, right. No, so I'm, I'm sure it, maybe some of it does does kind of feed into the leads. It gives us something to talk about on socials <laughs> for the month or two yeah, beforehand. That's the thing. You know, it creates yeah. a really fun energy. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, and- I get that. And also one thing I've noticed with clients that have done these, like whether they're like design clinics or little design surgeries or master planning sessions that I, I love it when clients decide to experiment with these things because I think they're just so different and unique and interesting and clients seem to really respond well. But mm. um, all of what I notice is all of a sudden an architect becomes a great promoter. Like you suddenly have something that you can like send multiple email newsletters about and post on Instagram and you're like, guys, register, fill out a form. There's two sessions left. Like we turn into these like little hustlers (laughs) all of a sudden. Whereas like day to day when we just have our big architectural service, we never like push anybody into it. We never promote it. We never say, Hey guys, we've got one more project opportunity. Like one, we Mm. can take on one more project this month. You know, we don't do any of that kind of, sort of more product focused marketing. But as soon as there's like a, Hey, we're doing a two hour clinic. It's like, bam, all of a sudden we are selling stuff and we're out there and we're confident. I I don't know what it is. There's this like psychological shift. I think it's the sense that architecture is a high end thing. It's a prestigious thing. And I think there's always been in our industry, this, if you're good at marketing, you're shit at architecture. (laughs) Yeah. I agree. And if yeah. you're good at architecture, you wouldn't, you won't need to market, know. you know. Yeah. And yeah. and there's all, I, I think there's always been a bit of a judgy brow raise when an architect gets a little too, too, yeah, good at marketing. Like, yeah. you know, it's um, <laughs> it's like, well, you know, clearly they're not very good at architecture. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, they're compensating for something there. <laughs> but for me, I just think, and I think this comes back, like the I should, I might talk a little bit like that humans first, architects second yeah. thing, and how much that permeates our business. So first, it starts with me. I'm mum of two two little boys. My life needs to be sustainable. Yeah. Um, then, like that second radius is my team and and their lives the, you know the the spheres that happen around them but yep. creating a space like i hope that it's changing i haven't worked for anyone for quite a while but there were, there was a lot of unpaid overtime and unpleasant working conditions that i was in prior to starting my own practice mm-hmm. and um and so it's about creating that safe space that safe and happy and yep. nurturing environment for my team. The clients are then that next radius. So they get the benefit of this secure, happy, nurtured team. And then we are there also doing the same for them. We're nurturing their process of, yep. of kind of seeing their own personal dreams fulfilled. And then you've got your builders and how we treat them and how they become kind of part of this 
family, this little ring, um, our mm-hmm. product suppliers, um, the tradesmen on site. We often, you know, look, we we work like with a lot of cab- repeat builders and repeat cabinet makers and plumbers and you get to know these guys on the site. So you get to know that um, old mate from the painter has just had a baby. He's got like a two-week-old at home and here he is on your building site painting and you know so having that level of care so that's where that sort of um humans first architect second approach comes from let maybe talk a little bit i'm actually i think people be really interested again in those in those workshops and in particular when it comes time for you to like describe it to people or kind of get the word out about this thing happening what's your approach to actually doing that what have you found Mm -hmm. kind of works in terms of Getting, getting demand happening and getting bookings happening for those um, winter warmers and summer, what summer was it? Summer sessions. Summer <laughs> sessions. I love it. I love it. I love it. So um, what's your, what's your first step when it's like, okay, time to, time to go live, time to tell the whole world about this. Yep. So we set up a super simple page in the back end of the website. Um, we put a link on one of our main pages to that. And then we run a paid advertising through Facebook. So um, we don't put a huge amount of budget against it. It doesn't actually need a whole lot. Um, it gets, in, you know, we're normally advertising to suburbs or to a region, or yeah. And um, and it, so I guess the nice thing about that is we might get people who've been searching for architects, possibly, yeah. you know, through their search history and stuff. But we will often get quite like just really out of the blue. Um, clients who've never even thought about working with an architect before. Mm. Um, so yeah, so we do our own posts on social on Instagram that we don't yep. promote those, but we promote the ones on Facebook, and that's where we find we get the best um, conversion. Yep. Um, and we limit them um, to a, a number of, over the month. You know, like yep. so, making it have a, a bit of a um, bit of a scarcity. Know, yeah, so there's a, a FOMO, FOMO factor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and I think back to your question, like it is easy to promote a package or a, a mini service because you don't yeah. have much on the line. Do yes, you, there's no giving, ego, right? Yeah, you're giving <laughs> yeah you're giving some advice. Yeah. Um, there's next to no risk. You know, you're just giving some advice, and they're going off to try and execute bits of it. They might learn some stuff from it. We've had people come in who want to do an X renovation and we'll, and we're like, we'll always do a town planning, a bit of town planning research before they come in, Mm. you know, and we're the first people to inform them that, Hey, your site's on a flood site. Like this project that you want to do is impossible. Here's a few other ways you could think about it. And I think we've had two clients go away and then sell their houses because of the information we've given them. They've realized that's not the house that they can do what they want on it, Um, which is kind of sad, but at least they got, that information before they got too far in. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the the I guess the your other comment is like architects don't go. We've got no more spots this yeah. month, or we've got one yeah. more project availability Very this rarely. year. Yeah. 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 I guess it's that question of like, does it cheapen the service? Mm. And that's a question I'm asking you. Do you think it cheapens the service if if um, you know, we're not selling carpet. You know, no, it's, it's no, kind of- I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I I don't want to you know go out on too much of a limb here, but 
if all else was equal and I can think of, you know, like let's say, um, let's say uh, <laughs> I don't want to give an example, make an example. Let's say, let's just pick like a really, really, really good architect and say all else is the same. If they started putting some language around how and when and why somebody can become a client, whether that is mm-hmm. framing a sort of a it, now, like where they're trying to basically manage that lead flow and say mm-hmm. like, we're taking bookings this month or mm-hmm. we're doing a, set, uh, a sort of a workshop next month and we want to meet people who are thinking about doing mm-hmm. projects. If they're a good architect and my opinion of them is that, do I start to, do I start to undervalue them? No, I start, I, I personally start to think, wow, they're really, they're, they're actually managing a lot of demand here. That's the impression that I get. Mm-hmm. I, maybe I'm a sucker for it. <laughs> but but no, but I kind of like it. <laughs> I think it translates to um, I think it translates to the general public really well. Yeah. Um, I think architects don't like it. No, and I don't like it. Think people who are trying to sell a very prestigious service don't like mm-hmm. it. Um, and that's fine. That's their client group. We did one recently. That's you know we use a bit of text every now and then, just as yep. kind of our education things and we did a want to know how to kick off the process with us because people like this is the thing people just genuinely do not know which always amazes us um and in that Mm. we talked about that there's a free phone call or a free zoom chat um if you want us to come to your home it's that costs money um Mm -hmm. and what we will give them in that, like what information they will get from that phone call or Zoom yeah. chat. And then if that if we're the right fit, we'll make a time for a second free meeting face-to-face in their home or in our studio where we talk them through the proposal, the fee proposal mm-hmm. and the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and we let them know that there's a six-month wait time for any new project to start. And we did that because we were like, we've got to slow down our inquiry. Let's tell yeah. people it takes at least six months to start with us. But the freaking opposite happened. And we had like three or four bookings like that day for, (laughs) because I think, um, so it it had, it had the opposite effect of what we were after. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and people loved it. Like, you know, you could see, you could see on the insights, you know, how many, how many of those got sent around and collection saves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably other architectural marketers. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> probably going. Oh, Maytree, you know, this must be the end for them. They're getting desperate. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah no, definitely. Well, because it's actually a reminder that you're. I mean, look, I, I guess like that's technically speaking, um, being not being afraid to remind people that you sell a service and that they could become a customer. Um, if you're afraid of doing that, it comes across as weakness or, or lack of confidence to the, mm. to the public. They go, it's a bit weird that this business is not really initiating any sort of effort to, um, you know, I guess it, in one way you could say remind me that they are in business and they offer services, but in another way, like almost invite me to become a customer. There's like none of that going on here. It's like kind of a bit, a bit odd. Mm. Um, but you know, the reason, part of the reason that you're doing it by the sounds of things is that you genuinely do have an excess of potential client opportunities in a sense, and that you are putting systems in place to manage them. So you're making that initial interact interaction, smaller, more casual, less commitment. Like Mm. it's a lower, 
barrier, but you're also not having to invest as many as much resources into that. Mm. Um, you're willing to see like a broader range of people and more people. Where there are some architects that get so few leads, so few inquiries, and the ones they do get, they have to take on as projects or at least try to. Where mm. for almost everybody that contacts them, that person will be getting a proposal as long as they have enough money, which is a terrible mm. way to do things. <laughs> so mm. your your approach, by the sounds of it, is. I'm going to market more so that I get more inquiries, but I'm going to kind of treat each of them kind of a little bit more lightly. I'm not going to overcommit to each of them because at the end of the day, I need to be very selective about making sure I'm filtering for personality and for quality and for quality um, and uh, and culture fit. And I need to manage my timeline because if we suddenly have a rush of clients and I send out 18 proposals and they all say yes, all of a sudden I need my four employees needs to become nine employees and what the hell, yeah. what the hell am I going to do? You know, so you're just trying to keep it nice and easy and delicate and casual with a wider range of people, right? That seems to be your approach. I hadn't thought of it like that. I think that's exactly what we are doing. And, and I think that's the joy of running your own business is every now and then you feel like, completely swamped by something and you're like oh no that's right I run this like I'm the one that can pull the levers to change it and make it work for me and so you know we don't go to people's homes for free and chat with them about their projects Uh, like I used to drive all over and burn just eons of energy and what (laughs) I found was I'd go meet them I'd go spend an hour and a half in their house plus whatever time traveling I'd go back to the office and I would write um I would write, I'd spend four or five hours writing a fee proposal for them. Yeah. That was a really dry fee proposal. This is a few years ago. I'm probably talking and I was like the person that you just said, you know, yep. with just waiting for leads to come to me, not yep. realizing that not I could manage an effort the flow. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And, and then those people would not get back to me. Like yep. this was a miserable part of my job that drained an enormous amount of morale for me mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and from my team to the point that we bought a bell so that when we did convert a job, I could like <laughs> ring oh, a like bell. A tacky, like a tacky real estate agent. <laughs> no, no, like even worse, like cocaine snorting Wall Street. I was, I was just thinking that like Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, think dirtier and then you've got us. Um, and um, so, yeah, so it was like a really awful process and so much of my job was that and I was not getting the reward of actually being an architect. My team were. I was winning this work if I did win it if they actually got back to me and my team were getting to deliver it, I was getting to touch it lightly. Um, And it was just crazy. So yeah, we, I was like, right, this is, I can control this. So you can either zoom me and COVID helped with this is reinforcing how much people are cool with zoom now. So you can either zoom me or we can do a phone call or you can come into my studio. You can spend the travel time. We can talk about your project. And there are certainly people that call me that get their noses out of joint that I won't come talk to them for free. And that's Mm. fine. Like I just am like, that's cool. This is my boundary. This is what I do. Um, And Mm. and then to follow up from that, so we have that first free interaction. The second one, I will come to their house because I've figured out I would like to have a beer with this person. And the second one, I will go to their house and I'll take a fee proposal with me usually if I've got enough information about the project. If I can't quite figure out the scope of it and maybe the budget without seeing the house, I'll do that. And, um, And the fee proposal is this beautiful design document that is about communicating to the client about 
what they're after. It is not a contract. It doesn't read like a, it is a contract. It doesn't read like a contract. It doesn't look like a contract. Yeah. It um, looks like a, you know, a pretty return brief really. Mm. And, um, and systemizing that fee proposal so that the text at the front is I change a few things. Yeah. You know, I change a few things about the numbers. And the other big thing that I've found really effective is on that first phone call or that first Zoom chat, you know, we have a schedule of fees. I just give it to them. I'm like, okay, cool. You're talking about an $800,000 project. Our fee is X percent of that plus a retainer during your build. And people are like, oh, what does that include? And I'm like, I tell them, you know. And they're like, oh, so like everything. And I'm like, yeah, everything. And they're like, ah, so so easy, so transparent. <laughs> you know, like we've talked to this person and it was like we could have this, but interiors would be more and they weren't sure how much more and, blah, you know, and, you know, just to be like, yeah, it's just this. And yeah. and to be completely upfront, like when a client calls you, like say if I call a, I always just try to think like who am I going to call that I don't call very often? Yeah. Um like a lawyer maybe for, you know, some specialised service. I want to be able to get off the phone call and know, like, how long is it going to take? When can you start? And how much mm-hmm. is it going to cost me? Like, that's what they want to know. They've looked at, they've got enough opportunity to look at our work to figure out that they like what we do. So what they want to get out of that call is those three things. And so, you know, and now that I've, you know, I, I would recommend every architect do this, like take the question mark away from your fees put it down in writing, be happy to send that out. I don't care if I send it to somebody and they then take that to the next meeting with their other architect. Like whoop-de-doo, congratulations. Mm -hmm. I don't care. I'm not charging anything that's rocket science compared to my other architects. We know it's about in line. And so, um, you know, so when a client says, oh, so how much will that cost? I'm like, well, at 600,000, it'll cost you this percent. At 800000 yeah. it'll cost you this. You're talking about a project between that and that, and to me it sounds feasible. Um, yeah. And, you know, you can almost feel like you can almost hear their shoulders relax because <laughs> it's yeah. clear. Yeah. And yeah. I am relaxed. I'm not doubting myself. Um, and just yeah. putting, like, being cool with just having that money conversation straight up. Um, yeah. Like, yes, people are coming to you to be a design expert, but I don't know if that's what they really want to talk about that much. Yeah, it's right at the start, you know. Yeah, um, it, at that point, you mentioned earlier those sort of add-ons, or you can do this and not do that. Mm. Is there any of that kind of option stuff explained at that stage, or yes. it's just a general? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So when they um, first make that booking with us through that back-end system that we have, yeah. Um, yeah called Calendly. I think I said yeah. I stole that from you. Yes, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and then um, Annika, my um, practice manager, she sends them a follow-up email that says, hey, this is us. Here's We've got a, a working with us document that steps out the process. We have nine steps of the design process that we've pulled out as individual steps. Um, so it steps out that whole process. It talks about who we work for, why we are doing what we do, our ethos of our practice. Um, and it just puts that all right up front so that if the client reads that and is, um, you know, you know, our thing might have some, you know, oh God, I can't even remember. We've got six things that are like yeah. an ethos, you know, um, if that turns them off, then great. I don't yeah, care. Cool. It's a perfect <laughs> test. So they've already had that before I make the phone call with them. And in that it's talked about our workshop process, which is a service, our mm. Explorer service, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have essentials and full service. So, mm-hmm. and essentials is the service that we're just about to drop off completely, but that's like our full service minus interior design and minus yep. some project management. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's but, interesting. But that's the one we have found, like it's great to be able to offer that flexibility to people and most people up go to the top service anyway. Yeah. Um, it's been nice to have it there, but, and certainly we've had a lot of clients take advantage of it. It's, you know, two or three, sometimes 4% cheaper than yeah. our full service. Um, but it results in work that we can't necessarily photograph or market yeah, because it's sure. not fine as finely executed yeah, yeah, yeah. so um for us we felt there's a lot of cost there's the same cost and time there's another client to get to know all of that kind yeah. of stuff but there's not sure. the outcome that we're after so do do you um so so that would that would be a, a problem for so many architects because content wise the only thing they have is photos of finished buildings that's their mm. that's the only way they can get new clients i need to finish photographable buildings that I can then share, um, get published and share on social media. And that will hopefully attract me some new clients in addition to word of mouth and referral and that sort of thing. But, um, do you feel kind of more relaxed about that working on a project where there isn't that final photographed outcome because it's not the only type of content that you have to offer? You know, you don't just have photos of work as your offering, right? Like you've also got your blog. You also use social media in a very Mm -hmm. sort of intense kind of way <laughs> i won't say intense but like no no not I'm intense no no, no sorry i would love wrong, to know wrong, what you mean by that <laughs> wrong word choice um use it in a very engaging way you're very engaged and you're very like you're putting a lot of love and effort into it is what i sort of say so you're probably i'm guessing not kind of as concerned if it doesn't always turn out to be that perfectly immaculately detailed photographable project in a way no I mean, we care. <laughs> we yeah, have enough, of course you care. We have course. enough projects that we are but like. But it's not life or death, like in terms of, yeah. No, because I think it comes back to that very strong principle of, yeah. you know, like we've got a client at the moment that is one of those essentials clients who mm. the, the piece of architecture out the back of this um, 70s brick beach house is just delicious. Like it's just yeah. fantastic. And she is going to put this god-awful mosaic on the back of her kitchen wall. I hope she, hope she never listens episode. to this podcast. Oh, no, now you can't share it. Okay. <laughs> um, no, yeah. I mean, she knows that we think it's God awful, goddamn yeah, awful. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, you know, she hasn't paid us to do her interiors. She's elected to manage that herself. She has a really particular taste. We love this couple. They're beautiful. It's their retirement home. It matters a lot to them. She wants to put her personality and her own stamp onto the house. And so for us, like that, that coming back again to that humans first, architects second, okay, I'm going to set my own ego and my own agenda aside and I'm going to put my clients' needs centred here. And that does mean just stepping back and going, you know what, you have it. Like we will help you try and find a way to curate that (laughs) mosaic thing as well as we can. Yeah. And that's what we'll do, you know. So I think think it comes back, you know, that that, – yeah, stepping back and just, it doesn't all have to be perfect, you know? Yeah, yeah. Do you sort of ever have doubts about that in terms of, um, you know, when you do step back and go, look, as I'm the architect, I'm the expert, I'm advising you to do something and you're not listening to my advice or you've got a different point of view. Um, mm. Do you, 
on the one hand, you go, okay, I can step back. I can kind of let go. But do you ever kind of think, do you ever doubt that and kind of go, but maybe I need to do something? Like maybe I need to try yeah. and get them to do what I think they should do here. No, like maybe yeah. that's, like that's always this sort of, you always doubt yourself a little bit, right? Because you, yeah. I don't, but it's about the relationship at the bottom okay. of that. It's about the relationship, right? So you can gauge that. Like we've worked with clients and we have very few of them left, <laughs> legacy clients, yeah. who um, who haven't kind of gone through that real litmus test that I have now of about the yeah. kinds of people we want to work with who, yep. you know, they, they are the expert in the room and it's not enjoyable to work with those people. Like mm. it is very enjoyable to work with people who are open-minded and, you know, open to being challenged and changed um, yep. and that kind of thing. We have learned, like, I think it's about gauging that relationship. There are, you know, we have pushed back on this client about the mosaic. We have said we don't think it's the right call. Here's where we think that that colour should go that you want. Yep. Um, and, you know, we've given her that. We've done what we can with educating her about that. She definitely still wants to do it. So, you know, um, there are other times where we've learned that we should have pushed a little harder. We should have said, you know, worked a little harder to just say, look, no, like yeah. that, that's not going to work. Um, mm. But I think it's it's the way you do it that lets clients know that they are um, respected and yeah. Yeah. that their um, identity is not kind of being trampled on. Yeah, um, I get that. So then in the back of <laughs> when you have situations like this, in the back of your mind do you go, hmm, that's a new blog post <laughs> right absolutely. there. Absolutely. Like, okay, because this touches back to your general operational <laughs> process and I think this is where the blogs come in. You go, oh, there's an email. Great, we send that once. We put some imagination, decision-making, creativity into that and it worked. Great, now that's a template, right? Mm -hmm. So now there's an efficiency there. That mm -hmm. email will always be our email. If mm -hmm. we need to change it, we change the template. We're not starting from the beginning every single mm -hmm. time. And now I, I get the feeling that the same thing happens with your blog where from reading your post, it's like that was an issue that was that took some energy and some effort and some yes. stuff to deal with. Let's make it a permanent, efficient yes. circle of solutions by yeah, now writing other, a post about it and sending it to everybody. Yes, <laughs> let everybody. I can't believe, like I think you used the term content marketing and I was mm. like, oh, God, I never thought that. Ooh, <laughs> we, content marketing. Ooh, I never yeah. thought, you know, I resisted having a blog in quote marks yeah. for so long and that's why we call it like a re design resources page or something. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think, um, <laughs> but no, I've like, I've, I've learned that I've learned one thing. I really enjoy writing and mm. the other thing is exactly that. We learn some really expensive lessons we do or our client does or we all do and somewhere yep. that's got to start getting documented. So it mm. is about documenting our process to clarify that to potential clients. It's also about mm. giving some, um, you know, stuff to talk about. Yep. And we call people, you know, we've got this blog called Build Small, Build Well. You know, just, yep. you know, we advocate to build smaller homes and do, build them better quality for a whole bunch of reasons. Yep. And so we wrote a really strong blog about that. And I was really nervous about, this was the first, I think that was one of the first ones we did that was really like, it drew a line in the sand, I guess, with the yeah. words that we were using because I thought, oh, well, someone with a big house probably won't come talk to us. And then I thought, mm. well, do I, I mean, we've got some clients with larger homes, but do I want people that want a 600 square meter house? I don't really mm. know that I do. So does mm. it really matter? And, and so, so that was, that has been really great. And, and 
that's prompted people to call us too because they're like, ah, oh, yeah. you know, there's this thing you could build smaller and smarter. And yeah. so what I could build at Metricon, I can build a Metricon home for what? I'm going to terrify some architects out. <laughs> I'm going to terrify some architects out there right now. Like you can build a 400 and something square meter. Actually, I've got this example. I've got a 400 yeah. and something square meter, 420 square meter top of the line Metricon house for about 500,000. So the clients come to us with the same kind of brief, but we're obviously going to say, well, you can have, you know, 180 square yeah. meters of house but just do it a whole lot better. You don't need five bedrooms, four bathrooms. You know, you've got yeah. you two and a kid and maybe a yeah. guest. And the guest room could also be the study half yeah. the other time. So yeah. how do we get that, you know, um, don't just park your cars outside for a few years and build a carport in another five yeah. years when you've got more equity. You know, so that's how we would think about it. And so it's made people think that they didn't couldn't work with an architect with a half a million dollar new build budget. And I'm not going to say it's easy <laughs> for yeah, anyone yeah, listening. Yeah. It's not. But, you know, um, it, it's kind of educated those people. We've got another um, uh, blog that's just um, titled We're Getting Really Good at Disappointing Our Clients. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and I didn't mean that to be, like, so sassy. I was just being like, I was just one day being like, <laughs> we were just, kind of being a bit funny and we're like that should be the title you yeah. know but I didn't realize kind of how clickbaity it would be um and it's it's but it's true half of what we do at the start of our process is disappointment you know yes we're selling you this amazing beautiful thing that we've designed but the second part of that conversation is it's going to cost you more like here's everything you've asked for and it's 20% more than you've told us your budget is or here's the options for how we will pull that back here's the things you'll lose so that it's not 20% over, you know, so a lot of our initial process is a bit of disappointment. So we just started writing about it. Yeah. Um, I've got another one in the works that says, swear as much as you like here, just don't say Hamptons. Oh, <laughs> amazing. That's so cool. So uh, that's, um, and, and do you kind of, do you find that it's mostly, um, mostly Instagram that you use to get these articles out there? Or do you guys have like an amazing MailChimp that I've sent to my have spam you folder not subscribed point. to our i may <laughs> have but i have i have a very like minimal email diet i filter oh, out everything yeah yeah so i i i would have missed it but um, um i think um we how often have, are you guys smashing mailchimp no we do four a year so oh is that all yeah they're seasonal oh. okay. they're seasonal with, okay. with a matching cocktail to match the season at the end a cocktail no. recipe okay. um but um <laughs> Yeah, so so we probably try and do one or two max like thought pieces yep. for that. Uh, we'll interview someone who's of interest to our clients, so a builder or landscape architect or someone associated with our profession. Um, we will show some current work that's either been finished or, yep. um, and yeah. So so I think it's a more meaty email. Like it's a it's I don't know if it's the right way to go about it, but. I write a really personal letter at the start yeah. mm -hmm. um, and uh, my mum just passed away this year and so the start mm. of my last one was about that, you know, you yeah. know, my clients yeah, yeah. had to see me go off board for, you know, probably yeah. two or three weeks at least mm. and um, off board, offline. I think <laughs> <I mean>. um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, you know, just just gets down in the nitty-gritty and, um and is it just a bit real? 
I it's probably saying, a bad approach. Play, I would no, no. It sounds it sounds like the content is just like spot on, but I feel feel like you should just be sending it three times more often. <laughs> would be would be my suggestion. And then maybe oh my god, like the work up. involved though. Maybe maybe we, we put no, so no, much but you into don't, you one. don't put as you don't put as much into each one. You put a little bit less. Like you would split it up across. Uh, maybe you'd have like two or three items per email max. Like max, yeah. max, max. The but cute monthly. thing is that because it's like to them and it's got a personal letter from me and yeah. um, uh, we get a lot of people that write back and it's a nice right way back. to mm. a nice way to keep our previous clients engaged. Yeah. Um, and that's actually something we're working on. Like there's this massive, um, so firstly we've got two things that we're building at the moment. One is our clients are waiting six months to start. So what is our process for supporting them while Keeping they wait? Them going, yep, yep, yep. So we have a little gift pack that comes to them halfway through that we've bought a book for, an architectural book that's in line with um, their project, you know, um, agenda. And we um, and we're thinking about doing some events. So, so with part in partnership with some showrooms mm-hmm. and getting our clients that are about to come and the client, a few of our clients who are maybe close to wrapping up in the same room so do an event and then but then as well as that there's all those clients who finished building with you and architects just go and we're done see you later you know how many of those clients are we like calling or talking to or following up with or um you know where we do a few house reveals a year where we Mm -hmm. host an event in a previous client's home um because that client has all of these the yeah. circle of people around them that, you know, not everybody is a referrer. So yep. um, we just say to them, look, we'll host a party for you and mm. 10 to 20 of your mates, 20 of your mates, we'll cater it, um, you know. and That's amazing. You've, you've got so many good initiatives and so many, like, amazing things that you're doing. I think the, the maybe there's, like, an architectural analogy here that I want to start with and I'll ask you a question about it, which is, like, you know, I love hearing these things in residential architecture where it's, like, you know, the client has a morning coffee at like 7 a.m. every morning from their favorite mug. So we designed like a little shelf for that mug to go just there in the right spot. Like, you know, always or like that little step that goes up to that bench. Like there's always these like little details that reflect, you know, that to me that's some of the exciting stuff that happens in design. It's like picking up on those little sort of idiosyncratic things. And whenever like a non-architect hears that, we're always so blown away. Like, oh my God, somebody took the time to like sit down and think about that. That's like so incredible. I get the same feeling when I'm listening to you talking about your practice because I'm like, she sat down and like thought about that little detail, that little step, that email, that event, that that party, like so many architects would be like, I don't ever have time to like think about my business or think about what I'm doing or take time to like design the flow of like how a client goes through the sales process. Like Mm. maybe it's because you, maybe it's because you have business coaching and maybe this is a testament to the help of Ray, (laughs) but, but, uh, but I'm thinking also maybe, um, you would have been very conscious about, your like mental health sustainably not over burning mm. yourself out too much like so mm. i get the feeling that like you you don't feel super fatigued like ah oh, screw this business i hate my business like mm. i meet some architects that hate their business big time like definitely yeah. i just and like, there's no point sick there's of no it. point doing yeah. it yeah but but so it, did i get it right on the kind of the mindset thing mm-hmm. or is it is that do you think that's a really important factor in how 
I'm interested in kind of like what your process looks like for actually doing that design time on the business Absolutely. that you clearly are doing. Is it just like shower thoughts or is it yeah. like a process thing? And then, uh, and then I guess your comments on that, on the sort of the mental wellbeing and the, and the sustainable aspect of it. Yeah. So I think, um, yeah, you're hundred percent right. I, um, I think when you are in a business and I think maybe this is the benefit of having that really bad first few years that were just hard yeah. mm-hmm. and, and having a few really expensive lessons. Um, so, um, working with Ray has been excellent. He, that has been more, um, the benefit of that has been more how the financial control translates yeah. to my business. So I would say the systems, the optioneering, the client, focused process stuff was yep. already happening. Yep. Um, with Ray, it's learning how to properly monetize and value that, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the uh, my week, I would say that I think when you're running your own business, um, you are designing your life and the two are so incredibly linked I'm, I have a very, like, I think when I let go of all of most of my staff that first time around and shrunk Mm -hmm. the business, that was the best thing that I could do because I, at that point, like until then my ego and the business were enmeshed, (laughs) you know, they were one and that process was so heartbreaking, but half because I was terrified about how people would perceive me, like that Mm -hmm. they would perceive that I had failed. And that's why I was shrinking the business and in many senses I had so but I think um now I see the business as this entity that's separate to me and I've got to be in it and if it's going to sustain me I've got to enjoy it I've got to want to go to work every day I don't want to get pick up my kids from four at 4 30 from daycare and be an exhausted cranky horrible woman Mm. Um, I'd say like at least 25% of the time I am though. Um, <laughs> but that's mostly because of my kids, not because of work. Um, and um, the, yeah, I think, um, so I think it's just, I can't, I'm constantly thinking about it. Like it's this yeah. thing that I'm crafting in my mind, um, separate to the thing that I'm crafting for my clients, the architecture that I'm crafting for my clients. And my team are amazing. They do carry the brunt of the architectural like work of drawing modeling and I get to like flounce in and out (laughs) and um you know I'm I'm very I'm involved at the high level conceptual and strategic thinking I don't know what other my clients are getting right so yeah so I and I I trust them so implicitly that they just do that so brilliantly um so it gives me it affords me that space to be like uh I'm going to write a blog, but most of that yeah. does happen in my bed on my laptop um, yeah. at night, you know, that's kind of, but I'll, but I'll be thinking about it for weeks, yeah. you know, yeah, exactly. um, and I might be at the hairdresser and just writing down notes. For, yeah. So the, having the practice manager come in, I actually think I heard you talk about it on a podcast recently. Was it with winter architecture? Um, the talking about, partnerships like people start a business by themselves and then like should you be running a business by yourself or should you have a partner or, yeah i think i was with paul keegan yeah talk because oh, right. he has he has his partner and yeah just talking about that idea of you know maybe maybe that is actually better for some for some people 
Yeah. And so, I mean, that's the kind of the reason we have the shareholder arrangement that people, yeah. the staff can buy in more yeah. and have yeah. want more responsibility. But have, bringing the practice manager on board has allowed me to outsource a bunch of the the stuff that I'm not particularly good at. And it's also yeah. given us a second set of eyes. She's gone, hey, this is not particularly clear or this could be done better or how are we yeah. nurturing the client through this? So that's given us a second set of eyes and she doesn't specifically come from the design industry either. So it just gives mm. us a, a different look at that. And that's actually probably a good thing, right? <laughs> it's great. It's great. And I mean, yeah. I even enjoy a good spreadsheet and a good financial reporting yeah. Like I just, I kind of enjoy all of that. It's, I think that's what's great about architecture. It's this really lovely left and right brain combination Mm. of skills. Mm. And yeah, so for me, it's it's very much about designing and crafting a life when I'm crafting the business. Mm. Mm. So I love it. We didn't talk about many, many things. So that means we have to have another episode at some point (laughs) if you want to. Uh, We didn't talk about your amazing copywriting. We didn't talk about many things on my list. But There's probably so much you could delete. There is so much. No, 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 not at all. I'm leaving in absolutely everything. Um, Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I can't believe how quickly uh, it all went by. Um, Thank you so much. No worries. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. Well, that was my conversation with Rebecca Caldwell from Maytree Studios. If you'd like to learn more about Maytree Studios, you can visit maytreestudios.com.au or follow them on Instagram at maytree underscore studios. If this is your first time listening to the Architecture Firm Marketing Podcast, please make sure to subscribe to hear a new episode every second week. It also helps other architects to find the show and benefit from these conversations. So, I really appreciate it when you subscribe in your podcast app. If you have any feedback on this episode or questions, you can get in touch at dave at vanityprojects.com. I love hearing from all of you. And if you'd like to hear more about me, Dave Sharp, you can visit vanityprojects.com to check out my blog, join over 5,000 other architects on my email list who receive my weekly emails, or learn more about my marketing coaching services for architects if your firm needs a little bit of help and advice. That's all for this episode and I'll see you next time. Thank you.